You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. So we're going to get to uh, this little party voice I got going on a little <laughs> bit later in the show. It's going to hang in there for the two hours that you got Spain and Fitz. We're also going to get into Fitz's ever-increasing knowledge of hot dogs and how they are consumed and at what speed a little bit later in the show. It's Spain and Fitz. Happy 5th of July, since this is, I believe, a federal holiday for apparently everyone but us. And the folks working with us tonight here on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Hope you're all enjoying your extended long weekend. We're presented by Progressive Guests. are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We got a lot to get to with NBA news. A big night, potentially huge night in the NHL. At the halfway point of baseball, what's going on with some of the favorites and some of the unexpected stars this year? But let's start with what we heard today, Fitz, on NBA Finals press day. A lot of coaches and athletes speaking out. And the biggest question, of course, as we get ready for the Suns and the Bucks to open up this series tomorrow night is, what's the deal with Giannis Antetokounmpo? And Mike Budenholzer gave us a little bit of information about it today. We'll continue to update it. He's had a good day. He's making progress. But I, I don't have expectations either way. Hmm. That's not much of an update. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, but Coach Bud is also the one that in the last round was pretty plain when he said, you know, look, I'm just going to tell you something and then you're not going to know anything. I mean, he was he, – he, there's he's very matter-of-fact with these things. But it is an interesting – even if Giannis has no structural damage, I think we have to continue to point out that doesn't mean that the knee has full stability, right? So, you know, they've got to be careful in how they're approaching this to make sure that no matter how much you want a championship, you don't want to do anything – that hurts you long-term also. So you got to make sure that the player is as healthy as possible. And I'm not sure they're going to have a really solid answer on that uh, every single day throughout the course of this series. Well, let's get into that and let's make it straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless, because there are two differing opinions on this. Every time fits it's, do you save the athlete from themselves when they want to go, even though it might not be best for them or the athlete knows better than anyone else what they can do, right? And we talked about this earlier in this postseason because we saw James Harden playing on a bad hamstring right alongside a teammate in Kevin Durant who is the biggest poster for what can go wrong if you put your body on the line and you're not altogether there. And without getting into too many details and specifics about the kinetic chain and everything else, we do know that if you have some sort of imbalance in your body or something not at 100%, the likelihood that you could cause structural damage elsewhere because things are not firing correctly is pretty high. And for Giannis, that's not just, man, I can't imagine missing the finals, but it's what does this mean for the Bucks going forward with my huge contract and what I mean to this team in the next few years. And that's what Vince Carter addressed today, talking about how, you know, this is not just a decision of do we need him right now? Of course you do. But what does it mean if something goes wrong? You want Giannis to take his time. Maybe you don't play him as many minutes early so he can get himself back uh, into game shape. So I want my four guys, and, and that's Holiday, Middleton, and both my bigs and Portis and Lopez, to stay aggressive and let Giannis work his way back. Yeah, and that's, I think, a big part of it, Fitz, right? It's not just if he's back, expect the Giannis that we're used to, put him out there with as much of a load as, as usual. Instead, you need to have the strategy of act as though you're the guy. If you're Holiday, you know, if if, if you're a, a part of this Bucks team who is used to deferring and playing around Giannis, instead it needs to be Giannis is a guy and he's out there and we hope for the best, 
but we need to be incredibly aggressive and get our own. Well, and you make some really strong points, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, uh, about sort of what to expect when these guys come back. And we've, we've seen it so often where it feels like a guy tries to work his way back and then does more damage. So I think that the fact that there's a, a quick turnaround to next season also needs to be in everybody's mind. Like, you've really got to be careful about what your game plan is. And as much as we all can look at it and say, yeah, but this is the NBA Finals, well, when you're talking about the transcendent two-time MVP and really the, the person that you're building your entire franchise around, you have to be respectful of the fact that it's the finals, but you also have to be respectful of the fact that you need this player for the next several years. I think you're right. This this series comes down to, in my mind, in the beginning, what can they get out of Middleton and uh, and Chris, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, the two guys that I think realistically have been so good at times, but have also at times disappeared. So you're going to have mm-hmm. to have a better level of consistency from the guys that are making all of this money to be out there for the Bucks. They're going to have to go out and try and get something done that nobody thinks they can. And if, if the Bucks can sneak a win or two out early, it takes all of the pressure out of whether or not they need to bring Giannis back in, in my mind couple things. One, you did mention quick turnaround to next season. Also the Olympics. And mm. according to his agent, he is still hoping to try to play for Greece. They have to play in the Olympic qualifying tournament in Canada. And the top-ranked team out of that six-team tournament goes into Group A of the Olympic tournament preliminary round against the USA, France, and Iran waiting for another opponent. So he still is hoping to do that. So not just a quick turnaround for the NBA, but his representing his country. You also mentioned, you know, worst case scenario in these situations is an injured player makes that injury or a new injury um, worse by going out there and playing. But there's also just what we saw from Trey Young, right? They come back and it's just not the same. And it's frustrating to watch because you know that they want to be out there giving their best. James Harden, another example, gave a bunch of minutes. They weren't incredibly useful minutes. And so that's another thing that the Bucks have to look at is when we get him back, what exactly are we getting back? And there's going to be a lot of conversation between now and tip-off tomorrow about who's making this decision and how informed are they when they make it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. That's the Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Of course, on the other side, we have a team in the Suns, Fitz, that has already gone through a ton of adversity just to get here between the, the stinger for Chris Paul, the broken nose for Devin Booker, the COVID test for Chris Paul, and they get here and they have to have sort of the game plan of here's who we are against a Giannis team. Here's who we are when he's out. And, you know, Chris Paul also talked about just needing to get past the things that are unusual about being finally in the NBA Finals. He talked about it today. It's different, obviously, having practice here and not at the practice facility. But it's still basketball. I think we all locked in to, you know, the goal at hand. And I think for us, it's balance. And, and whatever it is, you know, you, you always got to remember this is a kid's game that we play. You know what I mean? So this is this is a, a blessing and an opportunity to play this game. So there's balance. You know, I think we, I think our team knows when to lock in and when we got to enjoy the moment and enjoy ourselves. That's interesting, Sarah, that he said balance a couple of times, because all it makes me think about is this is such a rare finals as has been well documented. Jay Crowder is really the only person in this entire final from either side that has any experience in it. So as much as everybody's talking about balance and what needs to happen to win an NBA championship, 
neither team really has a guy they can look at and say, hey, how did you handle this in the past? What's this moment going to be like? I think that's an added level of unpredictability. I love what CP3 is saying about their ability to come in and just find the right balance, but nobody knows how either of these teams will react in the moment of the NBA Finals. Yeah, Fitz, I do think that that, to me, and this is total conjecture, is Chris Paul talking to himself, right? Mm. Hmm. of how do I balance these overwhelming emotions? We saw he couldn't get through a 30-second interview with Rachel Nichols on the court after the game because he said, I just want to be with my son and my family. I got to get out of here. Like, he was so overwhelmed by the moment and finally getting to this mountaintop that he has spent his entire career not just wanting to get to like every other NBA player, but being skewered and set up as an example for not having been there. So to already have this achievement, it's probably how do I not consider this enough and make sure I still have incredible ambition towards winning it all. But also, how do I enjoy this? Because if I don't come back here and I make this all about needing to win and I don't soak up all the moments around me and enjoy it, will I regret that? And that's what I feel like he's talking about when he's talking about balance. Same goes for the fact that this is a very young team, right? And you don't want a guy like Devin Booker to take for granted that he's there and assume it's going to happen so many more times that he over you know, gets too excited about it and isn't in the moment just playing basketball. And and those are all the storylines that we're going to be following for this Suns team that has this crazy vet with zero experience and these young superstars uh, trying to find their way. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, I teased the show today and all of our topics, and we already have someone that's got the whole show content covered for us, Fitz. Uh, At Mark Eric Ent says, uh, okay, NBA Suns in five, NHL Lightning in four, MLB Yankees got to get younger and faster in NFL. Why are we still doing hard knocks? Does anyone even care anymore? We'll tell you how right he is about any of those things as we keep rolling. Because next up, we got a hot dog expert joining us. And why does my voice sound like this? We'll explain. <laughs> You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Dogs is right. Fitz has been... Hanging with the glizzy gladiators all weekend long. And I just found out what a glizzy gladiator was yesterday when I was recovering from a lengthy wedding celebration, about 12 straight hours of me drinking and dancing like I was 25 and now feeling like I'm 55. And I was trying to work off that hangover to go to a water park as one does. Wait, wait, you you go to a you go to a water park hungover? Yeah, oh. so let's get into it. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And uh, yeah, so I was in uh, our producer Stashes on his turf back in Kansas City, which I've only been to twice and not for any significant amount of time until this weekend. Uh, one of my great old friends from when I lived in L.A. got married. And it was one of those weddings where the wedding was at 1.30 at a Catholic church. One of those very long, like, stand up, sit down, there's a homily, there's mm-hmm. some singing, there's some, you know, lots of stories about Jesus and stuff. So that took a while. And, by the way, this dude is a legend at karaoke, and his go-to songs are Enrique Iglesias' Hero and Meatloaf, I Would Do Anything for Love. And in this beautiful, very serious church, a string quartet played Enrique Iglesias' Hero when he walked down the aisle. That's and remarkable. It was incredible. I was like, because I had literally said no more than 30 seconds before joking as they're playing nice, normal string quartet songs. You think they're going to give us some meatloaf or some Enrique? And then like 15 seconds later, I go, by God, that's Enrico's walking music. Um, so that was awesome. But then there was a gap of a couple hours before the ceremony. So, of course, we just started drinking. And then we didn't leave till 2.30. So we went to mimosas in the morning at 9.30. And we went home at 2.30, 
And that's why I sound like this. And then I had to sleep it off and hit worlds and oceans of fun, which is a water park in Kansas City. And let me tell you, Jason Fitz, there is nothing more Americana, maybe a hot dog eating contest, maybe. But close second is a water park in Kansas City on the 4th of July. I mean, that that sounds like, look, I was in the splash zone, as they call it. Uh, oh, no. And I still feel better about that than a water park on the 4th yeah, of July. Like, yeah. it feels like there's just a lot of public peeing going on in a water park. I didn't see any public peeing, but okay. like... Uh, you know how, like, every restaurant you go to right now, they're like, we're understaffed and we're just a little slow. And you're like, it's no big deal. And that's just, like, a restaurant that has, like, 50 people there. Okay, now apply that to a water park. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> just, like, nothing worked. They were out of everything. Like, the, the bride and groom had organized this great thing. And so we had, like, wristbands for everything. Unlimited drinks, unlimited food. Here's the one to get into the, you know, adult-only pool where there's no kids presumably peeing here's the one you need for your cabana all this stuff but none of them ever worked and at one point i literally said to these like 15 year old boys working the frozen banana stand i'm like you're just gonna give it to me (laughs) (laughs) they were like it's not scanning i don't know like i think you have to have i'm like nope this is like the unlimited like we don't know why it's not working but we don't know the system i go then you're just going to give it to me. <laughs> By that point, I was like, I just need something to work out. Uh, but we had a blast. Uh, but I did a lot of screaming. Mm. Um, the groom performed Get Low and Meatloaf, I Would Do Anything for Love, uh, and was thrown around on top of the uh, arms of his fellow uh, guys to uh, Don't Sleep uh, Till Brooklyn. And uh, there was just a lot of um, a lot of things going on. And now I sound like this, but it was a it was a good time. Did you care? Like, because look, Sunday and I had karaoke at our uh, wedding reception. Did you do any karaoke? Did, did Sarah Spain uh, open? I did, in fact, do my usual nothing but a G thing. Okay. All right, that's good. Yeah. See, right around one forty-five a.m. As good. I mentioned before, this was a twelve-hour affair, so there were a couple oh, words I missed in there where I was like, "Don't give up on my." D-. Like, I was worried the DJ was going to skip to the next song and be like, "I think she's out of it," but I was like, "No, I I I got the whole thing. I just that one little part." You know, just like a clock when I take in a talk, but I'm never off, always on to the break of dawn. C-U-M-P-T-O and in the city, they call Long Beach, putting together like my, and I was struggling at the time, but I got it again now. That is remarkable. And, you know, the first time I was ever hired to, as a musician to play at a Catholic wedding, I was like, God, why do they pay so much for these? And then after the Catholic wedding, I was like, I'm never playing one of these again. They take all day. So <laughs> it did take uh, all day. Yeah, Speaking that, of all fact. day, I want to talk about your day with the Glizzy Gladiators, uh, There were some technical difficulties, nothing to do with you, but I had to leave before it ended. Did you have to explain to people that a world record had been set that they couldn't see? No, we didn't actually know at the time that they were having transmission errors. But yeah, Joey Chestnut uh, set a a world record, which was actually kind of funny because, you know, as much as people have laughed about certain elements of the hot dog eating contest uh, for Nathan's Famous, Mike and I went in and did the interviews the day before we talked to the eaters. You do everything just like you would if you were calling a game. And talking to the eaters, the number of them that felt concerned, like it was pouring down rain the day before. It was really humid. Everybody's been concerned about their training capabilities during COVID. Even Joey Chestnut was like, I'm not getting any younger. My body's not recovering the way it usually does. I haven't haven't been able to really get into the training regimen I'm usually comfortable with. He moved this year, and that sort of took some of his focus. So I walked in really thinking, look, we all expected dominance from Joey, but I didn't expect a record because he just didn't have the same body language this year that he did last year. And, boy, then he started. But the one thing he said beforehand was, I know that the crowd always amps me up, and I'm worried about having too much adrenaline because of the crowd. 
And I'm telling you, Sarah, like there were, I don't know, 5,000 people there. But the way they had them crammed into the baseball stadium because of COVID concerns, they could only allow a certain number of people in. So the way everybody was sort of angled in, it was so loud that at one point the flooring we were standing on was shaking as everybody was chanting his name. And there was a moment where he started to slow down. And I saw him look out at the crowd and his eyes got big. And all of a sudden he just found another gear it was really superhero to watch this guy just go to the next level when he was obviously out of air and out of space i, I was stunned like I-, I i really kudos to joey but the crowd was what definitely i feel like he hustled you i, mean, I no. feel like he hustled you and he set himself up with the i just don't know man i don't know if i got it anymore meanwhile back home at the ranch or wherever he oh, practices uh, his Indiana, glizzy no, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, glizzy yeah. glugging glizzy Guz- gu- guzzling guzzling um, yeah. wherever he does that, I feel like he was like, oh no, this, I feel, I feel great. I'm going to do it. Let me set them up so that they don't know what's coming. And here I go. I have to admit, like I was following along on Twitter with the part that I watched and you guys did handle it and approach it like a full on regular old sporting event. And as a vegetarian who, as you know, chooses things like smart food, popcorn over like super overly processed, it's not really my thing. But I was really impressed by how seriously you took it. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of eyeballs on it. So I'm with you. Like, I did make sure the one thing, because the splash zone is disgusting, and walking up and doing the interviews, it's all wet buns that have just basically, like, created this wet film all over the the riser that you're standing on. My main concern was don't fall, you know, as I I ran up there. But Mike and I were smart. We got a hot dog and uh, french fries for breakfast. Because I knew afterwards I wasn't going to want one. That was the one thing that I definitely made sure that I... So I take care of the hot dog in the morning because afterwards, no, not a chance. The smell just kind of sticks with you. Just the one, though. There's no chance Gojo had one hot dog. Yeah, he only had one hot dog. I also bought him a helmet of ice cream. You know, I, I, was, oh, okay. uh, that's I was a really quality date, you know. Good that's good for him. I'm there to help him. <laughs> Uh, that's your second year doing that, right? Did you feel more comfortable this time? Yeah, much. it's much when you know what to expect. It's still chaotic, but yeah, definitely uh, second year doing that. Hopefully it's a 4th of July tr- tradition. I, I really enjoy it. All right, dude. I'm I'm impressed. I couldn't stand in the splash zone, and I cannot watch people competitively eat. I I hosted one of those once locally, and it was it was very difficult for me to watch. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, back together again. Coming up, be careful what you wish for. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance with insurance for cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles. Just go to 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or call 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or go to progressive.com. We're going to get some expertise on all things NHL, and to do that, we're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline, where we're joined by our good friend Emily Kaplan. Emily, before we get into the Stanley Cup, we start with some heavy news, as was just referenced in SportsCenter. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets goalie Matisse Kivlenix has passed uh, after being struck by fireworks. What's the latest that you've heard there, Emily? Uh, it is just, this story has haunted me all day. It is so tragic. Um, but from my understanding, Matisse and his fellow goalie with the um, Columbus Blue Jackets, actually fellow countrymen, Elvis Merzlikens, um, were together, and they were there visiting their goalie coach, Manny Lagasse, um, in Michigan, and it was just a terrific accident. Um, it involved a fireworks. The detectives don't believe the person who set off the fireworks was consuming alcohol. There was some conflicting reports of whether at first he had hit his head on the cement or the firework did actually hit him. That is what the autopsy revealed. But everyone who knew this kid, he was only 24 
they, they say it's cliche, but he walked to the rink every single day with a smile on his face. Mm. He was undrafted, living out his dream here in the NHL. He played in two games last year. He was expected to have more playing time this year with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And hearing all of that, your heart just breaks. I also just think of the trauma that those around him have to deal with now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was living with Elvis, and his um, his wife is seven months pregnant. Elvis's wife is. He was like a little brother to them. And just knowing that they were there with him when he passed away, I my heart goes out to them and has they have to try to overcome this. Emily, there is no easy way to transition from something uh, as meaningful and, and as difficult to deal with as this. Uh, but we'll do our best. That's what we're here for. So we're going to try and get uh, uh, everything moved over to some of the excitement here with the Stanley Cup uh, final that's going on. So let's switch gears and look at this series, particularly a series that I think a lot of people expected to be a good one. And Tampa Bay has been able to dominate so far. Why? Tampa Bay is just a better team than the Montreal Canadiens. You know, you think that if there is one advantage that the Montreal Canadiens have where, okay, that can steal them a game or two, it is Carey Price. And Carey Price was fantastic the first three series of the playoffs. He hasn't been so good in the final. He admitted he needs to be better. His save percentage is sub-900. That is not what you want to see. Um, you know, I just think Tampa Bay's depth is really grinding away at the Montreal Canadiens. And anytime the Montreal Canadiens make a mistake, whether it's an icing, whether it's a turnover in their own zone, whether it's a puck on the glass, um, the Tampa Bay Lightning have been able to capitalize. If you look at the underlying stats and the analytics, they've actually played pretty even or, or even enough at five on five. It's just good teams, talented teams, veteran teams, maybe a team of destiny um, can figure out a way to score those goals, and that's Tampa Bay. Emily, there's always this kind of discussion when a team is on the precipice of winning it all away from home. Would it be better if they lost and then got to win it at home? But that has been ratcheted up by the restrictions on people traveling to Canada and the possibility that the Lightning could win away from home without family and friends there. But I never thought I'd see it go this far. This is Tampa Mayor Jane Castor saying what she would like to see happen with this Stanley Cup final. Here's what we would like. What we would like is for the Lightning to take it a little bit easy, to give the Canadians just the smallest break, allow them to win one at home, and then bring it back to the Amelie Arena for the final and the winning of the Stanley Cup. But we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but they are playing some amazing, amazing hockey. Emily, you cannot do that. You cannot tempt fates like that. Sarah, I listened to that clip of her saying that, and I said, this woman has never played competitive sports. She does not understand. <laughs> like, this is someone or just like with no Or like darts or pool at a bar, either. Like, at any level, no. not even competitive. Just like, no. we all know this. This is a freaking Stanley Cup. You do not throw a game just so you can celebrate at home. I understand politicians all have agendas, but no, 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 no. This ain't it. This is not it. And, you know, it is such a, a sucky situation that the second year in a row this team could win a championship. And one of the most cherished things about winning the Stanley Cup is being on the ice there. I'm probably, I'm sure you were there sometimes when the Chicago Blackhawks won it and seeing um, the embraces between the wives and the girlfriends and the fathers and the children. And it's just such a special moment. And I'm sorry that they're robbed of this, but the Tampa Bay players were aware that this is probably going to be the case for a couple weeks now, at least a couple days they want to win the cup. There will be plenty of time for celebration. They are throwing no game. They're not looking to lose game four. I love that Emily just, you know, mentioning that Sarah knows what it's like. I only know what it's like to watch, you know, Pittsburgh <laughs> skate around in Nashville with the cup hoisted. Yeah. It was 
painful. Yeah. Uh, Emily, yeah. you mentioned this is a chance at a second straight. I mean, at some point, do we start having a conversation about Tampa Bay that involves like words like dynasty? Yeah, you know, it's crazy because after they won the last one, all everyone was saying is like, well, this offseason is going to be so hard for them. They're not going to be able to bring everyone back. This might be it in their chance. And lo and behold, the confluence of events of Nikita Kucherov getting that tip surgery on December 29th so that they didn't have to move anyone. Tyler Johnson going on waivers twice unclaimed. Now, look, he's being a big contributor in the Stanley Cup final, and they made it work. And this offseason, again, they're going to have to deal with these same questions. But maybe there's another confluence of events where, yeah, they can figure it out and win once again. So I, I do think that this team that we're seeing now is a manifestation of years, honestly, a decade of strong drafting and, and cap management. It's Julian Brisbois, their GM, but it's also his predecessor, Steve Eiserman. I think that's a name that anyone who doesn't even know hockey probably should know. He's a genius as a GM, just as he was a genius as a player. And um, they're a really good team. They're a really deep team. And I think they're going to be heck of a competitive team next year. Even if they have to get rid of people, they have world-class talent in Nikita Kucherov, Andre Vasilevsky, and Victor Hedman. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Emily Kaplan about the chance for the Bolts to repeat as champions with a win tonight, a Stanley Cup final sweep after all that time that the Canadians had to wait to make it back, and it could be over just like that. I want to drill down on what you just talked about with the surgery and the timing. There are some people who are critical of the Bolts and how things have gone this year, perhaps trying to evade the rules in in order to send this particular team to the final, right? Yes. And, you know, it's fans hearing it. I hear it within the league, too. There's a lot of people in the NHL, around the NHL, who say, we get it. We understand the rules are what they are with the salary cap. But why did he get the surgery on December 29th? Why didn't he get it in October? Why didn't he get it in November? Why did he wait until this moment when, lo and behold, it was very convenient? And then he came back. Lo and behold, very convenient. Game one of the playoffs looking quite dominant. Couldn't he have played in the regular season? The timeline seems a little sketchy. But, uh, you know, Gary Bettman and his pre-Stanley Cup presser was asked about this and quite defiant saying, we looked into it. The rules are the rules. They've been like this for a very long time. We have no issues with it. And honestly, I I don't think there's anything malicious um, about it. I don't think there's anything sinister going on. I honestly think it's a confluence of good luck and kind of fortunate events. So where did this all go wrong? I mean, the Canadians obviously came into the entire Stanley Cup playoff not favored, right? And Carey Price gets hot, and mm-hmm. everybody says, okay, you've got a hot goalie. Uh, where did it go wrong for Price in this game? Because this was a close game. Like, game one was a one-goal game in the third. It just got out of hand. And it feels like everything since then has been out of hand. Is there something Montreal could have done differently in your mind? You know, for me, the turning point was game two because that game they actually outplayed the Lightning significantly. They had a plus 20 shot differential. If you're getting 20 more shots on the other team, you usually win the game. And that was just one of those games where just none of the lucky bounces were going in and all of them were going in for the Tampa Bay Lightning. If I had to think of one turning point in the series, it was Blake Coleman, good Texas American boy. I can say this on July 5th. Uh, making this incredible diving goal with just like Hmm. seconds left uh, in that second period. If you hadn't seen it, go look it up. And after that, it almost just felt like Montreal was deflated. And in game three, the fact that they come home first time in 28 years, they're playing the Stanley Cup final at the Bell Center. Unfortunately, the Quebec government didn't allow them to have more than 3,500 fans. So it felt like a lot. And they just came out flat. And I'm like, you know what? It's not their year. They're gassed. This is Tampa Bay's. 
Hey, Emily, before we let you go, you just pointed out if you're out shooting a team by 20 shots a game, you're probably winning that game. It had me thinking. I would like you to tell me which of these is the most prominent and most oft-used hockey cliche. Is it (laughs) get pucks on the net, which you just uh, referred Mm -hmm. to? Is it calling a stadium a barn? Or (laughs) is it a goalie standing on his head? Oh, you know, in the organization that's all about the process, we take it one game at a time. Um, I think the answer is none of the above. It's Whoa. get pucks deep. Get, Ooh, get pucks, pucks deep, deep. Not even get pucks mm-hmm. on net. Wow, yeah. I've been out of the game for too long. I When I covered the Blackhawks in and out in those locker rooms and at the games, I started saying organization, and I still do. And people are like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I just heard them say it too many times, and now I say organization. <laughs> You know, you know what's crazy is when I'm, like, covering a final and I'm around a lot of hockey people, all of a sudden I just say, sorry. I, I, I swear to God, oh, the no. last couple of days I've just been save saying yourself. sorry to everybody. Yeah, save yourself. Emily, you are the best, my friend. Thank you so much for the insight, the expertise, and uh, enjoy this process. Hopefully the, the Stanley Cup final is a little longer just because it means that we get to see more hockey. It's really just selfish at this point, Emily. And talk to Emily more. Yeah. I love it. I love it. No one's throwing any games, but I'll take more hockey. Appreciate you guys. (laughs) Thanks, Emily. That's Emily Kaplan, ESPN NHL reporter on Spain and Fitz. All right. We got a bunch of stuff we want to get into, so we're going to do it the way only we can on this show. Quickies coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Look, I know it's the middle of or the beginning of July and everybody's got all eyes on everything going on in the NBA. We'll get back to everything you need to know about the NBA finals in just a few minutes. Obviously, we got a bunch to talk about in the matchup between the Bucks and the Suns, but there's also a lot of football stuff going on. We wanted to get to all of it in the way that only this show can. So we figured it'd be a good time to do some quickies. That's where the sexy voice guy yeah, says the sexy voice quickies, guy but usually. it's a federal holiday, yeah. so I think the sexy voice guy took the day off. So he's not, usually he sits in the in the back of the room with you, right? Yeah. And then you just tell him when to say it. But he's not there today, so uh, we could just do it ourselves. I, oh, oh, there he is. Maybe, hey, friend. He just, you know what? He, he just had a few hot up. dogs. He just had a few hot dogs. That's all. All right. So we'll start with the first story. Look at that. The, now he's just rubbing it in. The first story comes from Careful New York. Phrasing. And, uh, <laughs> Oops. Uh, so New York Jets quarterback Zach Wilson. I love this because we all know that Zach has been. He's going to have all eyes on him. There's a lot of profile that comes with anybody that's the Jets quarterback. But what do you do when there's also a large profile for your mom on social? media and this is interesting because apparently he's offered to pay his mom to delete her instagram but she says she doesn't want to get in she give in she doesn't need his money and frankly at this point she wants to do what she wants to do so she posted a video to social media on friday to say that he had asked her in the past to take on her instagram after being the target of ridicule so apparently she's not going to do it. She's going to stand uh, for what she wants to do on social media, and she's going to welcome all the hate. But, uh, Sarah, I'm just telling you right now, if anybody offered to pay me just to get off social media, the answer is yes. You don't even have to offer that. <laughs> the, like free popsicles for a day, and I might decide to do well, that. Well, here's the interesting thing about the story. When I first saw the headline, I'm thinking to myself, this is sweet. Like, he wants to protect his mom from what's going to be the inevitability, which is that so often family members of professional athletes get roped into criticism of their Kid, husband, wife, whoever, right? And unfairly so. So I thought he was just protecting her from that. Then you dig a little deeper and it starts with, she got a lot of attention on draft night, right? Mm -hmm. For being an attractive blonde lady. 
That wasn't his favorite. So then I'm like, okay, I still get that, right? He's a kid. He doesn't want to see a bunch of weirdos on the internet hitting on his mom. But then I dug a little deeper, and I think part of the problem is she's going to bring a lot of criticism to him for some of her takes, including she went on a rant criticizing the mask policy at Disney World back in May, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. So if you are, especially a white woman, I don't believe her name is Karen, but that would make it even worse, complaining about COVID policies, it's probably not going to go over well for your very famous son, right? And I think that's part of it is it's not just... Mom, I don't want you to get your feelings hurt or people to be mean to you. I also don't want you bringing unnecessary stress to me. I'm already going to have it bad enough. I'm the quarterback of the Jets. I think that that's such a huge part of this too, Sarah. Like one of the things we talk about all the time is that life's different when you're the quarterback in certain markets. Life's different when you're the quarterback of the Jets. And that's just going to be part of what. And the mom I mean, of the quarterback of the Jets, right? We know how often quarterbacks give us cliche answers. Unfortunately, a lot of what their family members say will get attributed to their opinion, even unfairly so, if they're not really saying much. Yeah, this is part of what makes life really difficult for Zach Wilson right now. And part of the the concern you have to have for everybody as he adjusts from being a BYU quarterback to the Jets quarterback. Much different mm-hmm. level of eyeballs. All right, let's get you to the next story. And this comes in the form of quarterbacks hitting pay. Trevor Lawrence signs his deal with the Jags. No surprise here, but 36.8 million bucks for the rookie quarterback under the NFL's rookie slotting system. So he gets 36.8, 24.1 of which is a signing bonus. Uh, so that obviously includes a fifth year option that's attra- that attached to all rookie contracts. One significant thing is he did get uh, no offset language, which mm-hmm. means if they ever cut him, he would still continue to get all that money while he gets paid by somebody else. So, this is, as you said, expected, right? There was, There's no real surprise to this, except for maybe some of the details. What's interesting to me is how confident I am in Trevor Lawrence, the player, being able to translate his skills to the NFL, perhaps more so than any recent quarterback going into the NFL. Like, actually not perhaps, with, with certainty, I feel more confident than I have in any young quarterback. I'm just not sure about the team he's going to play for and the head coach he's playing for. I need to see it. I need proof of concept because as great as he is, a jury's still out for me. You know I'm not a big fan of Urban Meyer and not just who he is as a person and and the issues of his past, but I want to see what his decision-making is like at the professional level. And some of what he's already done with that team has been real head-scratching, if not downright insulting and offensive. And I want to see how that locker room gets along and how he operates as a leader. Yeah, I think that, you know, the Jags are going to ruin Trevor Lawrence far before, far sooner than Trevor Lawrence would ruin the Jags. I mean, that's just the way the organization has gone in the past. I would love to think that this turns around because Trevor's an easy kid to root for. And anytime you have a team that's been bad for a long time, I love the thought that they're going to turn it around. But uh, it's hard for me to put that together here without a lot of talent being put around him. So I don't think there's any easy situation on that. Let's get one more of these in. And this comes in the form of Hard Knocks. Yes, it's still on. The Cowboys will be making their third appearance on Hard Knocks. They'll become the first NFL team to be featured for a third time. HBO and NFL Films announced it on Friday. It's a five-episode season that will debut on August 10th. So, Sarah, you, you feeling this? Cowboys on Hard Knocks yet again? Yeah, earlier in the uh, show, we had someone try to guess at the content of our show based on, you know, how long will the Suns take to win? How long will Lightning? And that no one cares about Hard Knocks. I still love Hard Knocks. I will admit that 
once or twice in recent years, it's been a little less thrilling. I think some teams are a little bit more worried about the damage it does instead of before it feeling like a bit of an honor in the sense of giving a lot of players a higher profile, helping sell some jerseys and merch. Um, I don't know why we're going Cowboys again. There is a lot of storyline there with Dak. Jerry Jones is always going to give you stuff, but I, I would like the rules to allow for more teams to be put into the pot to be selected because there's a lot of teams that you know have never done it, and I would like to see a lot more of, of the background and the facilities and the decision-making and all those things for a different squad. Yeah, I think that's a, a really fair uh, point to make because, you know, realistically it does get redundant at times, and uh, the other side of it for me is, you know, knowing that, Last year, uh, or the year before, the Raiders were on it, and I I joked at the time it was more soft knocks. Like, it was the middle of the Antonio Mm. Brown stuff, and they weren't giving you Mm -hmm. any of the actual information on it. So, you know, for me, if they're going to do it, then they need to do it the right way. So since 2014, franchises are not required to be included if they have a first-year head coach, if they've made the playoffs in the last two seasons, or if they've appeared in the show in the last, I believe, three seasons before that. So there are all of these different variables uh, in, in that can come into play here. But to me, what, the one that never makes sense is they take playoff teams out. Like, I'd be interested to see a playoff team that's trying to figure out how to take the next step. Right, right. So, I guess – you earn the ability to not be meddled with by being good. <laughs> but in the meantime, that means you've always got a eh, team that's right. putting themselves in that situation. So right. uh, they, they make it so uh, so constrictive on figuring out who they're going to put in every year. They, they limit the pool, and I guess they know what we all know. The Cowboys get ratings, so hopefully people will watch it because – uh, ultimately, that's got to feel like why they're there. Uh, we're brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. That gets you caught up on some of the stories you need to know that aren't NBA-related. But coming up, all the questions around the Bucks and what they'll do in the NBA Finals. We'll go to Milwaukee and get some answers from an expert next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The matchup is set. And we know that the Phoenix Suns will be taking on the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA Finals. The question is, how does Milwaukee prepare for whether they may or may not have the two-time MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah, we really got to work this thing out, by the way. Much easier for you being in Chicago. But, you know, my favorite restaurant in the world is in Milwaukee, Calderon Club. So, I'm thinking you, me, we go, like, maybe we, we score a couple of tickets. We go to the NBA Finals. Yeah, we go to I mean, I think I think a nice person from the Bucks reached out a little while ago and said whenever you want to come up. I think just asking for tickets in the Finals is probably the best time to spring that request on someone, right? Uh, no, no, no. We'll go through. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll use a bunch of connections. I feel like, perfect, G, perfect. like the Calderon Club owner, like, feeds half Let's the team. Let's just call Jen Latta. So, Let's uh, just oh, call Jen Latta. That's not a bad idea, Or too. Zora, uh, uh, no, who well, we've never yeah. spoken to. But I think I think this is the first time having you on, right, yeah, Zora? You, you can't hit somebody up the first time Zora okay, Stevenson right. books reporter joins us from Bally <laughs> Sports. they don't know what's coming. Zora, can you get us into the NBA Finals? <laughs> can I get into the NBA Finals? Oh, you know? That's um, a fair question. That's a fair question. That's a fair question. We appreciate no, you joining us. you have a good restaurant list going. You have a great restaurant list going. Well, that's all. That, that is where all the players go. I mean, uh, it is, it's the best Italian food I've ever had in my life. Uh, Zora, obviously what we're really talking about here is Giannis. So if you're the Bucks and you're coming into this series not knowing whether or not you'll have him, how are you approaching pre- preparation for this thing? 
Yeah, head coach Mike Boonholzer said today, it, it's not the easiest thing, obviously, but both teams are actually dealing with it, if you think about it, right? The Suns don't know whether Giannis is going to play or not, and the Bucks are preparing for both scenarios. Also, they just went through two games without him, and, and the majority of the time they play with him. So they know what to do in either situation. But, yeah, of course, you have to go into today and practice and film with, with multiple game strategies. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We hear a lot during series, you know, a player gets hurt in the middle of a game and everyone sort of scrambles because the prep hasn't been for life without that person. But knowing mm-hmm. how up in the air Giannis's status is, it does feel like they will have very distinctive game plans and not just maybe one or two, but a third, which is Giannis is out there, but he's more of a decoy, right? And how do you accentuate to those guys who can be great but often disappear that they need to be consistent and they need to be the Giannis type who shows up and is going to guarantee to give you 30 or so points every game. Sarah, you just brought up so many good points. I want to go back (laughs) to the fact that it's harder to adjust mid-game because you can't prepare for an injury that comes out of nowhere. And that's why, obviously, game four, like it started in favor of the Atlanta Hawks, but why it just kept going that way because the Giannis injury threw everybody off, right? They, They were not prepared. Game five, they come out much better because you can prepare for that. In this scenario, right, you know, yes or no, still not known, you can prepare for both scenarios. And then you talked about that third scenario where, yes, Giannis plays, but he's not 100%. Here's what's so hard about that is historically Giannis only has one gear, and that's like full throttle. So (laughs) I'm interested about that third plan because I just can't envision – in a, 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 a world where Giannis plays and he just doesn't go all out. That's what's so hard about managing Giannis is because he always wants to play and he always wants to go hard. And then the other point that you brought up is like the Drew Holidays and the Chris Middletons on this team were so aggressive in games five and six in the Atlanta series, in series and you want to see that going forward even with Giannis, but it's easier said than done because the styles of basketball are two different things. That's why everybody's like, oh, where's this Brooke Lopez been just dominating the paint? <laughs> well, you can't have like two – I mean, gone are the days where you have two big bodies in the lane at the same time. So, you know, obviously Giannis is, is the dominant player, and he's going to get more action in that area. Giannis is out, and Brooke, you know, it was his time to shine, and he did. So easier said than done to saying to all those guys, like, yeah, stay as aggressive as you, as you were even with Giannis playing, it's, it's hard to do just in the flow of the game and, and the system the team plays with. We're talking to Zora Stevenson, Bucks reporter for Bally Sports on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Zora, uh, how much obligation does the organization have to think about the future when they're looking at Giannis's health right now? I mean, if there's any shot that uh, anything could jeopardize him for next season or beyond, how much do they have to factor that in when they're in the finals today? Yeah, I mean, great news is that there was no structural damage, and so this was not what, you know, anybody thought it could or couldn't have been, right? So that's the good news. And, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to think about the future. I mean, remember back in December, it was this whole big deal. Giannis signed to extend his time in Milwaukee. And so this is not just like one go you're going to have at it. At the same time, the Milwaukee Bucks have not been to the NBA Finals since 1974, haven't won since 71. So historically, it's like, we're here. We have to take care of business now. Who knows when you're going to get here again? That's a really fine line to walk. And uh, that's why, you know, the the higher-ups have to make those decisions. (laughs) 
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Bally sports reporter for the Bucks, Zora Stevenson. What's the fan base talking about? I'm always fascinated, like local radio, uh, fans outside the, the stadium. How confident are they in this team being able to win without Giannis? Or how much are you getting that deep down, this is just a nightmare to finally get here and possibly do it without your superstar? No, I mean, Bucks fans locally are optimistic either way. It's, and especially because the team has shown that they can play with him or play without him, obviously. Like, obvious, obvious, obvious. Milwaukee is better with Giannis, the two-time MVP, uh, defensive player of the year at one point. I mean, all the accolades, right? Like, the Bucks are better with him, but they also have a lot of pieces that are capable of performing even if he's not able to go. And the thing about Bucks fans is, like, this fan base is like the highest of highs and lowest of lows, right? So Giannis goes down in game four and like you would have thought that it was done. Like people just thought this entire thing was over. And then game five, the resurgence and and a fan favorite is reserve Bobby Portis who got the start for Giannis in game five and was phenomenal, had a playoff career high, 23 points. And then everybody's like, Oh, bucks like all the way. Right. And so what's so great about this fan base is, is they're so passionate. So everybody right now is just like, you can't tell them anything. Again, because it's been decades since the Bucks even got into the finals. Of course, all that changes game one because now you're here and you want to win. So, Zora, I keep looking at the matchups trying to figure out who shuts down DeAndre Ayton on the Bucks side. How do they approach him? Yeah, well, you know, and it's, I always, like, to me, my basketball mind, I played through college and I'm like, box out, right? Like, Go find a body, put your, we call it butt in your gut, and, and box out. And Bobby Portis is like, Zora, in the NBA, like, that doesn't fly. Like, refs are not called. Like, if I'm boxing somebody out and somebody goes over top of me, like, he calls it, like, you know, like, a man's game. Like, the refs aren't calling it, so you have to find other ways. Like, you just have to, like, hound the ball down. So, uh, when it comes to DeAndre Ayton and even, like, a Jay Crowder, too, it's rebounding and, and making sure you're the one that gets the basketball. So, the Bucks are really focused in on rebounding in the defensive end. Yeah, so oftentimes we're watching TV and we're all screaming, box out! It's just the principle. It's day one stuff. And what you forget is at that level, so true. And then there's also guys that are seven inches taller that are going to tip it right up to themselves over top of you, even if you get right. a position on them. That's why Rodman and some of those guys that work the angles and are literally thinking to themselves where the person shot from, do they tend to miss short or long, like all this stuff. And that's how they end up getting all those boards. We've seen it from Capella throughout this postseason, right? His ability to dominate even when he doesn't necessarily have the best position. Um, but but regardless of how they do it, that's still going to be real important to them is not giving Aiton and the Suns a bunch of second chances, whether that's angles or butts in the guts. Uh, they got to figure it out. Uh, they, they absolutely do. And um, we're excited to see the matchup, I think, Fitz, because you and I have been uh, calling the Bucks our side. Well, you don't really have a first team in the NBA. The Bucks are my side piece. And uh, it's tough tough to figure out who to root for between your side piece and a guy like CP3 finally getting there. Uh, no, it's not. I'm all bucks. I'm all bucks on this thing, Sarah. <laughs> who cares about CP3A? You can follow her on Twitter, at Zora Stevenson. Zora, we really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thanks so much. Enjoy this run. It's awesome to watch from a distance. I hope you get to enjoy it a little bit up close and personal. Thank you. Thank you so much. All the best to you all.
uh, Sarah, I, I, I'm all in. I'm just all in on rooting for the Bucks. Like, I'm not even trying to hide it. Like, I, obviously, if Chris Paul wins, that's a great story. But in the meantime, uh, it's a better story <laughs> if the Bucks win. Now, so says I, uh, but we'll see how that we, – we haven't made our official picks yet. We will make our picks. But coming up, we'll tell you what to really look for, the biggest matchups, what's on the line, how will this impact legacy. Yes, legacy, the cheesiest conversation in the world. But we'll have it from a smart standpoint, I promise. Next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. These journeys getting real close. We got finals game one tomorrow. Both teams bringing in a couple questions. One more than other. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We just talked to Zora Stevenson, a Bucks reporter for Bally Sports. And I do I do believe her, Fitz, that, that uh, at least outwardly, Bucks fans are very confident, regardless of the question marks around Giannis's availability. But I can't imagine that deep down they're feeling real good about a potential of having a final series without him. I, I mean, listen, it's just there's so much pressure on this team to make good. Maybe not so much as before when they weren't certain if Giannis would re-up and stick around. But how many different iterations of this do you have to have? before the luster of the regular season is so completely gone that you can't even enjoy it because you know that inevitably you're going to end up with a playoff disappointment again. It's rare for somebody to go into the finals, I think, probably as a fan base and feel like, wow, you know, we don't don't match up well here. And I get that. I I mean, but I would also argue that Chiefs fans felt like they matched up really well against the Bucs, right? You know, and then... You see the problems that injuries can create. Not that it was just about that, but that did contribute to the uh, to the Super Bowl. I think that's part of the contribution that you know you have to look at when you start talking about the NBA playoffs this year. the uh, The Suns walk into this thing relatively healthy, right? They walk into this thing a pretty good version of who they've been, and so you know, barring something changing there, I, you know, that should be cause for concern. I think for anybody taking this Phoenix team on, because what's happened through the course of this year is that they've become galvanized and stronger. The young players have found an extra gear and an extra intensity. Thanks. I think in part to CP three and now Chris Paul comes back and, and yeah, as much as we were talking about pace of play for a few games, uh, they get the opportunity to get those kinks worked out. So, you know, I, I feel like Phoenix fans have a real reason to be confident. And if you're the bucks, You've got to look at it and say, man, there has got to be a good way to shut down, in my mind, DeAndre Ayton is such a key to this thing. Because if I believe that uh, Devin Booker and CP3 are going to get theirs, but so are Middleton and Holiday, then it comes down to all the rest of them. And if it's if it's everybody else on that lineup, uh, DeAndre Ayton is the best of, those, of, of the remaining players, in my mind. So uh, what Ayton's able to do against this team is going to be, I think, the key to the series. Yeah, and, and we've seen that there was a stretch there where it felt like, okay, he's coming to his own and this is who he is. And then he still had, had, a, had a step back moment. So consistency from Aiton is going to be fascinating to watch and how the Bucks decide to tackle him. Booker as well, because we know he can absolutely go off. And listen, let's not forget that Chris Paul finished with, what, 41 points and zero turnovers in that series clinching win. I mean, that guy can also get it done in a way that's uh, sort of unusual now, right? Those mid-range Jays uh, just step backs over players much taller than him. They have a number of ways to attack you over there. The Bucks do too, and it could be Lopez if Giannis is out, but more likely you're looking to Holiday or or, or, or Middleton, and it's just which guy shows up that night. And it, 
Go ahead. Well, and that's why, like, to me, I almost look at these, like, you know, old school, not that I was particularly great at math, but, like, when you had division problems and you had to take, like, denominators that sort of crossed each other out, sometimes if I'm just putting the roster over here, I'm like, man, Middleton, when he goes off, goes off. So I can just take Middleton and cross Middleton off and cross CP3 off, right? Like, those are the two guys that I think – I think those two guys can eat in this series no matter what happens. And I would say the same to a large extent about Booker and Drew Holiday. That's why, like, for me, I think there's such great offensive performances. Uh, There are real questions about consistency, though, to your point. I mean, we've seen Middleton just absolutely destroy teams, and then we've seen where he just can't hit the broad side of a barn. Right. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, We were talking about uh, Jen Latta hooking us up with tickets, which was a really good idea for me, and I think we need to follow up on that. But also, Jen Latta has some great insight on this series, and this is what she had to say about uh, her way of looking at the Bucs having to figure out life without Giannis. The Bucs are like me and my husband when my husband is out of town, okay? When my husband is home, if one of the kids yells for us, I kind of wait a moment and see if my husband is going to, tend to it right because we're both there so either one of us could do it and she goes and sometimes he will and sometimes he won't but when my husband's out of town for work I have to do everything so there's no hesitation when the kid shouts I don't wait for a moment to see if my husband is going to step in she said and that's what it seems like the Bucks are doing when Giannis isn't there you're not waiting to run the offense through him. You're not getting into the dunker spot. You're not doing the you know, drop defense when you're on defense. You're not doing some of the things that you only do when Giannis is on the floor. And it felt like they were playing without thinking, without that hesitation of got to get the ball to Giannis. Where's Giannis? You know, got to make sure we run the mm-hmm. offense through Giannis. Yeah, I think it matters. She said that on KJ and Z this morning. I think it's a great analogy, Fitz. And it's something we kind of mentioned to Zora Stevenson just now, too, is that idea of like, you just step into a different role when you know that guy's not going to be here. Or you know he's going to be here, but he's not himself. It's on me. Whereas even if somebody tells you to do that, if you've still got a two-time MVP on the court with you, a part of you is going to defer. Is there not, I mean, so much proof of concept of that idea from just the other side of this matchup? Like when we lost Chris Paul out of uh, the Suns last series, we saw a different level of Devontae Booker, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, you can you can turn around and look at Booker and be like, oh, my God. Did you just God. call him Devontae oh, Booker? I did just call him Devontae Booker. That's yeah. amazing. What do you right. think's going on there? Well, Who's Devontae Booker? He's a backup running back for the Raiders a couple of oh, years ago. Oh, so guys, Devin, see what we're doing I was here. just going to go right wow, past that. Wow, the Raiders you know? found their way yeah, into Devontae our Booker, NBA Finals. You, you are really hungry for some Raiders well, football. Yeah. My God, it's almost here, you know. Now I'm going to have to put Devontae Booker on my Madden team. <laughs> I feel like I owe that to him. No, Devin Booker. But we did see the next key from Devin and then remember when Chris Paul came back like I said there was conversations about well now there's pace play issues and has this team taken a step back and like all of the then you get the is the team better without Chris Paul like all of the hot takes come from that the Bucks are going to go through the same thing when Giannis comes back because it's an inevitable adjustment yeah and that's going to be the fascinating thing because I have been real tough on coach Bud and I think rightfully so about adjustments This is a series that's going to take a lot of them if Giannis is in or out or he's having to adjust to to like levels of availability and and effort. And that's where you look to the other side and say you got a coach of the year candidate finalist and then you've got someone who's on a hot seat. Uh, Vince Carter also addressed the idea of what the other guys need to do uh, when Giannis is in or out. If they can get Giannis back, you want Giannis on the floor. He demands attention regardless of where he is with his health. At the same time, I'm still I'm telling Drew Holiday, I'm telling uh, Chris Middleton for sure, and then my bigs. I, I need the same game from you 
because you you want Giannis to take his time. Maybe you don't play him as many minutes early so he can get himself back uh, into game shape and playing shape because he's been away from the game uh, for for right. for a while now, Giannis. That is. So I want my four guys, and, and that's Holiday, Middleton, and both my bigs and Portis and Lopez to stay aggressive and let Giannis work his way back. The one thing for Giannis that is great is if he doesn't settle, he plays in the paint. Yeah, I think Fitz, summon whatever it was that you brought to the series clincher against the Hawks. And yeah, they were short. Trey wasn't himself. But what we saw to that team was a team that knew the assignment, and they need to bring that in this series and not need to catch up when they realize that they they need to be the guy without Giannis. Yeah, and you can feel the intensity, by the way, in that game also. Like, there's just all of that coming together that really needs to happen. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Saving you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. It's Bain and Fitz. Coming up next, we're going to check in on the Suns' side and figure out how they're preparing to defend Middleton and Holiday and maybe Giannis, maybe even Lopez after that last game. We'll get into all of it next. It's Bain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. As we get ready for the NBA Finals, we've already given you some perspective from the Milwaukee side, but we need to get some perspective on the Suns and what's going on there. And uh, one of our favorites is going to be covering the Suns for this. Dave McMiniman, ESPN NBA, just guru, God, we'll put it all those ways. Dave's all (laughs) over everything that we always do. He joins us now on the Goodyear Hotline. Dave, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Happy 5th of July. Didn't know that was a thing, but it is this year. We're going that way. So uh, we've already talked at length about this series and I think, you know, honestly, everybody's trying to figure out what what the Bucks are planning to do with Giannis. The flip side of it is, what are the Suns, how are they basically building their game plan, not knowing whether Giannis is going to be there or not? Well, first of all, kudos to you by wor- working through a hot dog hangover to do uh, <laughs> radio today. I mean, that's really impressive. A true glizzy gladiator. You, kudos to you. <laughs> uh, it was... Uh, Bonnie Williams was asked about that today. And he said, the thing about Milwaukee is their identity remains the same. Even when you take out Giannis, because their goal is to attack the paint and they have been persistent in doing that. That's the way they ended out that Eastern conference final series by still having drew holiday penetrating, getting inside, either finishing himself or finding shooters or or finding other guys around the rim. Uh, Brooke Lopez playing more like, a seven-footer than the Lopez 2.0, who has been more of a outside, spread-the-floor type of guy in his latter stage of his career. Bobby Portis attacked the Like, these guys, uh, they put pressure on defenses that way because either you're going to get an easy bucket right at the rim or you're going to foul them, and then that puts them at the foul line where you know they are able to get a rhythm in their shooting form. They're also able to get into the opposing team's bench when the, the opposition has foul trouble. And so that is where the sunset at is we need to wall off the paint, no matter if there's Giannis or not. Fitz seems to think that on a given night, if everyone shows up, maybe CP3 and Booker will offset Holiday and Middleton, and that will leave the big question of whether Aiton will show up big like he did in so many of the games we've seen or shrink back a little. 
we often talk about his inconsistency, but not as much this postseason. Is there anything you can point to that the other team does that tends to be what triggers Aiton having a bad game or an off night or not being nearly as noticeable? Well, some of it is the Suns run a lot of action for him early on in games. And then from there, they rely on him to have his motor going. And a lot of it is offensive footbacks uh, or, you know, a steal or deflection that can lead to a run on an opportunity where he's advancing the ball ahead to the lead guard and then filling the lane, getting opportunity for a dunk or a layup on the other end. And so, they need that motor to say consistent uh, because obviously him scoring, that's been a big part of his playoff performance. He's shooting like close to 70% from the field. Uh, but defensively, if he allows himself when he has games where he's not getting much touches offensively to start to float defensively, then then really he's not being the the, the impact type of guy that, is the reason they went up 3-1 on the Clippers. You know, that masterful game four he had in Los Angeles, uh, you know, at, at, he turned around from that to a no-show, basically, in game five of the Western Conference Finals. And so he's one of their, their biggest X factors. And another guy you look to outside of the obvious in Chris Paul and Devin Booker is Jay Crowder. And when Jay Crowder, because you know he's going to give you toughness and grit uh, and tough perimeter defense, but when his outside shot is falling – I mean, man, he can really swing the course of a game because teams don't really game plan for him uh, because he's not part of a consistent diet for the Suns offense. We're talking to Dave McMiniman on uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So with that being said, Dave, I'm trying to figure out a little bit if we're just going to say all is good with CP3 because, I mean, I feel like the massive Game 7, which was incredible, I don't want to take anything away from it, it silenced a lot of the conversation that was happening about the lesser version of Chris Paul that we might have seen or the Suns offense for the two games before that. So is that enough to to be convinced that the ship is righted for the entirety of the finals? Well, come tomorrow, it'll be six days off in between the Western Conference finals and the finals for Chris. Now, he said he played with partially torn ligaments in his right hand, his shooting hand in the conference finals. Like, I, to me, six days <laughs> doesn't sound like a whole lot of time to come back <laughs> from that injury. But, of course, he played – with that injury when he had that massive game in the closeout. Uh, so, you know, to me, it was either weak on the part of us in the media or just knowing that he's going to give an eye answer that no one even asked him about his hand today during the media session. Uh, he did address it on Saturday. He said that the time has time off has been good for him and that he's been managing the injury well, but you know, we watched him shoot around in the brief portions they had open uh, for all of us to see and no brace on the hand, no wrap, no nothing and, and swishing buckets. And so uh, you think that if it is going to bother him, he's never going to admit that it's part of the problem that he would have in the finals. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Dave McMenamin as we get ahead of game one of the NBA finals tomorrow. Uh, you know, there's often the sort of tail of the tape leading into one of these and you go, you know, offense, defense or starters versus bench and all that stuff. Is it safe to say that most people would argue the check mark is very firmly on the side of Monty Williams over Coach Bud in terms of faith of adjustments, rolling with the punches, what we've seen from the Suns despite a variety of setbacks versus the ability for Coach Bud to really adjust to Giannis being in and out of this lineup? 
Well, it's funny because Bud is obviously a two-time coach of the year, but he's had so many playoff flameouts at this point that I don't think anyone is ready to jump on what he did do in the Eastern Conference Finals uh, to finish that series off once it was 2-2. I mean, the fact that he or the rest of his coaching staff had Bobby Portis in a a place to be able to step in and and somewhat approximate the offensive production that Giannis provides for that team is incredible. And I think he deserves, obviously, a feather in his cap there. But Monty, considering where he took this team from uh, what they were before he joined it. You know, three seasons ago, before Monty Williams was head coach, they had 19 wins in a full 82-game regular season. Last year, almost make the playoffs with that 8-0 run in the bubble, and this year he's runner-up for coach of the year. I think Monty has the momentum right now as being uh, the better coach, but uh, Mike Budenholzer has done a lot in this league for a long time, and, you know, I, I, I don't think someone – he is someone who necessarily will be uh, outmatched in terms of knowledge of the game. It just, we've seen in the past, he seemed more reticent to make changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see if losing his star in the Eastern conference finals forced him to become a coach that, uh, you know, makes changes proactively versus yeah. re- in a reactionary ma- manner. Dave, when you look back at this first round of this series, uh, the entire playoff, I should say, uh, a lot of people thought the Lakers would still find a way to beat the Suns. What did so many people miss about this team? I think what was missing was that they had been together such a short amount of time that you take for granted that maybe you don't necessarily need that experience if you have the right group. And this is a really well-constructed roster in terms of ascending talent combined with veteran talent that's sure of themselves and also willing to give opportunities and touches and shine to that ascending talent. You know, it's one thing when you combine, say, let's look at the 2018-2019 Lakers, a veteran great player in LeBron James with ascending talent in Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, uh, etc. LeBron wasn't ready to give up the mantle and those guys weren't ready to take it from him. There's a better balance here where Chris Paul is a passport type of guy who is willingly having the spotlight shining just as much on Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton as it is on him. And then, you know, obviously a guy like Jay Crowder who is like, he finally got a taste of the finals himself last year with Miami heat and lost. And he's back here again. And, and he just wants everyone else to experience that stage the way he did last year and also experience in a, a better manner and come away the champions. And so I, I just think the mix of this group, uh, we haven't seen a ton of uh, NBA finals groups that have looked like this, but ultimately to me, the, what it comes down to is that Chris Paul is that special because, yeah, he didn't get to the finals with OKC Thunder. He didn't get to the finals with the Rockets or the Clippers or the Hornets. But all those groups, he put together uh, a, a roster that didn't necessarily look that amazing on paper. But you throw in a guy who, who has a, a will and, and extreme intelligence about how to play the game, and they, they can do things as a group that you don't think were, were possible. 
You guys can follow him on Twitter at Mick10. Obviously, check out his work all year, but especially during the NBA Finals. Dave McMenamin, Dave, thanks for the time, my friend. Go enjoy a hot dog. Uh, trust me, you'll, you'll, you'll be glad you did. I, I, can, I can smell the mustard coming through the phone receiver right now. It's <laughs> incredible. It, it takes about a day to get the stink off you. I'm just going to oh, be man. honest with you, Dave. Oh, man. Appreciate you, my friend. Stay safe. Thanks for hanging out with all us. Right, bye, guys. Dave was brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. We have some breaking news out of Major League Baseball. We'll get you updated on it and what it means, uh, particularly for the Los Angeles Dodgers. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And as we're doing the show here, uh, we got some uh, some breaking news coming out about Trevor Bauer. And you remember, of course, that last week, the first word from uh, Dodgers manager Dave Roberts was, that his hands were tied by MLB. And there were a lot of questions around exactly what kind of power a manager has in a case like this where Trevor Bauer is accused of sexual assault and battery, um, whether or not he could voluntarily take him out of the lineup or whether there'd be potentially a grievance filed by the Players Association if the MLB itself had not p- pulled him. Uh, then we saw leading up to the White House visit and a possible start yesterday that MLB did indeed uh, decide to to go on the seven day uh, list to to prevent him from playing while they further investigated. And now we're hearing from Dave Roberts a very different tune. Bill Plaschke is going to join us now from the L.A. Times with the latest. Bill, tell us what you heard from Dave Roberts today and what you think that means about Trevor Bauer's future with the team. Well, I think his future with the team, his immediate future with the team, is is in jeopardy. Roberts today backed off of his statement last week and said he didn't see him playing again. When when the uh, suspension when the leave of absence ended on Friday, and because uh, I think they obviously didn't want him starting at Dodger Stadium in front of you know in front of a, a, what would surely be booing fans in a horrible situation. So I think I think the the, the bigger issue here is baseball is continuing to investigate and they, and they need more time, and I think the union is going to give him more time because there's probably a probable reason for more time. We're hearing they're looking into Trevor, Trevor Barr's past. They're looking into all everything about him, which they probably should have done before they signed him, but mm-hmm. which the baseball is looking into everything and they're investigating everything. And I think that this shows the investigation is a lot more serious than maybe some people thought. And that, you know, it's going to extend. It'll extend to the all-star break for sure. Dave. And I think then we'll see what, we'll see what happens. I mean, there is a, there is a, to me, there's a legitimate question as of Dave Roberts' comments today, is whether the Trevor Bauer ever pitched the Dodgers again. Do we have a sense of what made Dave Roberts change his tone from the last time he was asked about it? Well, obviously, baseball investigators and Dodger people have told him that this investigation is serious. I mean, what he said last time, I don't blame him for saying what he said last time because the union controls everything. The Dodgers' hands were tied. It's not 100% true. I mean, there is a possibility and a likelihood of a grievance if they had elected to do something, but there are any number of instances where teams have elected to do so and been willing to face the possibility of a grievance, believing that they were acting in the, in the right way. So he was not well, prevented from doing is, so, right? I, I, yeah, yeah, but I think they would have made Trevor Barr into some kind of a, of a, of a, uh, of a hero for the union, union people, and they didn't want to do that. They just didn't. I just think the union would have come down really hard on them and I think they stay. They stay there. I think. I think they really had no. They really have no. We have a collective bargaining agreement. That's that's part of the. the, the you know the, the the bad thing about baseball's union is so strong, 
the strongest union in sports, and you know who knows what they would have done. So I, I don't, I, I still don't blame him for what he said in the, in the beginning. But obviously now he's changed his tune because he's learned, as as we're as we are guessing that baseball, the investigation is continuing and it's serious enough to continue, and it's serious enough to keep keep mouth at mound for at least another week or two. And who knows who knows if it, if if it'll be longer or not. But I think the Dodgers again. I think their hands were really tied on this one because of the union, the power of the union, because they don't want, believe me, if they could do it over again, I know this, and I've talked to people over there, they would never have signed him. They realize now what they've done, and they realize now the trouble he's caused. Bill Plaschke is with us here on Spain and Fist, and I think this is yet again the millionth time where all of the vetting that a team has claimed to do has not been complete and or they've decided that things will be different. When we know that he's notorious for harassing women online, he's mocked people who identify as trans or non-binary, he had a massive temper tantrum and humiliated himself throwing the ball over the center field fence, you know, as he's getting pulled from a game back with the Indians, he nearly took off a finger on his pitching hand before the biggest game of his life and wasn't able to compete. He has a history. Now, none of those things mean that he's guilty in this case, but they all come together to form a character study of somebody that, to your point, the Dodgers decided to insert into a winning lineup. Um, we're kind of running out of time here, but just a final thought, Bill, from you. What is the reaction if they just say, whoops, our bad, and this is it for Bauer with the Dodgers? I think people would have, out here would applaud them, would embrace them for that, and they'd be eating about $100 million. But you know what? They make that much. I mean, it's how much, what price integrity, what price character, what price are you going to have, you know, to have a, a, a team that stands for a city that represents a city? I think they would be embraced for that. If they cut him off right now, that would be such a big move, a big gutsy move, a costly move, but it would be the right move. Bill, thanks so much for the time. I know we got you last minute. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Bill. You guys are great. Thanks for having me. See you. Bill Plaschke on with us here on Spain and Fitz. And Fitz, I will say this much, right? Like, I, I do think, I agree with Bill that their hands were tied and, and there was a potential that the, the Players Association would consider Bauer a sympathetic figure and push even harder for his rights being violated by them making that decision. But we've also seen at any given moment managers of teams be allowed to make decisions about players because of being late to a flight, because of fighting with a teammate in the dugout, because they have a preferable matchup a week later so they adjust their start time. Everyone would know why this was happening. But they could conceivably argue on behalf of their decision-making and why it was so necessary and maybe win that grievance. And that might have been worth it because instead what you have is a team that sullied its own name and a manager who looked weak in an important moment and the cascade of of condemnation from Ken Rosenthal and Plashkin, other baseball writers saying you cannot send him to the White House and put him on the mound on Sunday, finally moved the hand of baseball, which allowed you know Dave Roberts to act in kind. That shouldn't be required, and I think it might be a lesson to them on how times have changed and how people are going to react to trying to say, we'll just do a wait and see and act like nothing happened. A, a lesson, frankly, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, a, a lesson that shouldn't be necessary at this point. Like, to me, you're absolutely right, but at some point, teams need to look at the, the, the landscape and say, here's how things work. Realistically, if they had, from the get-go, said, hey, we're not going to allow him to play till we get all this figured out, so what if there's a grievance? Ultimately, at the end of the day, whatever money that would cost them is far better, at least because you can say, hey, we 
were standing up for something we believe in that we wanted to make sure we had all the information on. I mean, even if that costs you a little money, it's worth it because at the end of the day, now they've got to look at it and say they've handled this terribly in my mind. And through all of it, they're going to end up having to justify their entire process. Yeah. And what we've seen already is at least one high profile Dodgers alum basically looking at the way they've handled this and saying, I'm not coming back for your events and your celebrations because I don't like the way you've handled this. And even with the latest update, you know, who knows what else you've said to your fan base and former players about how you operate. And it could have been it could have been solved by handling this well in the first place and not waiting till your hand was forced. Uh, Spain and Fitz, thanks for listening. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next. They're going to talk to Devin Booker and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.